Welcome to Soft Strength. My name is Aisha Fakhro, and together we'll explore conversations around humanity, holistic wellness, and mental health to expand our perceptions and the way we experience the world. I always love it when I get to have friends over on the podcast, so I'm really excited to introduce my guest for this week, Miriam Sharaf, who is the founder and owner of Feel Good, a strength and conditioning facility in Bahrain. Miriam also happens to be my personal trainer, so I've gotten to see firsthand how well her philosophy of feel good holistically and all that that integrates works for us as clients. I always love it when trainers support their clients to work smart as opposed to just working hard. And we talk about that a lot on this episode and how that works and why it works. We also debunk a whole bunch of fitness related myths, including does soreness mean you've had a more effective workout? Does stretching alleviate muscle soreness? Can women work out during their menstrual cycles? Does keto work? Does EMS work? And a whole bunch of other things. I'm super excited to share this conversation with you. Here is my chat with Miriam. I'm so excited to do this with you. Me too. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for hosting me. For anyone listening who doesn't know who Miriam is and what you're all about, what do you do? What's Feel Good all about? Feel Good started back in 2013. I started coaching in 2011 at Fitness First. When I left in 2013, I wanted to start my own brand. I always knew I'm going to open a place, but I wasn't sure when that was going to be. So in 2013, I came up with the name. And it's because I believe that um, at the end of the day, we're all doing what we do to feel good. Whether you're training for fat loss, for strength, for health, performance, um, injury prevention, whatever it is, the end result is the same. It's feeling good. Mm -hmm. Do you ever find that someone comes into the process with a certain goal, but then comes out with like a more... Always. 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 (laughs) Always. Yeah. I, that's one thing that I really love about your approach is that it's very holistic it's not just about like, I have this one target to halas. It's more of like, how can you, we make you feel good in as many ways as possible? And making it sustainable the same way. So mm-hmm. we don't want you to go all in and stop all of a sudden. It's about doing the minimum effective dose. Mm-hmm. So the lowest amount of training possible to reach your goal. Mm-hmm. And what most people do is the opposite. They go all in, they burn out, and they stop. They get frustrated, they start over again, go all in, burn out, and stop. So it's finding the right balance to make you, to keep going and enjoy it along the way. Mm-hmm. Can we just pause and like say minimum effective dose again? Minimum effective dose. <laughs> such a good like, <laughs> philosophy for training. Do you feel like that's what it usually is, is that people overdo it at the beginning and that's what puts them off i think that's it and they put out of pressure on themselves Mm -hmm. and they feel like if it's easy if it feels good then i'm not doing it right yeah um most of the time they feel like they need to be pushed to the edge to get the results they want otherwise i can see the looks at their faces especially when they just start training Mm -hmm. that it's too easy sometimes it's because i ease them into it 
sometimes they don't trust that they're going to get the result if it's that easy. Mm. Um, but it's all about easing, easing them into it. And then when they're ready to go harder, I would still push them. It's not about being easy all the time. Yeah. It's just finding the right balance and knowing when to push and when to hold back. It's interesting the beliefs we have around it, like around results and progress. And sometimes I feel like we hold ourselves back through the beliefs rather than the actual way we're doing things. I remember when I started training with you, I was like, oh, I think she's being nice and gentle to me at the beginning. <laughs> but then what I realized was, no, I, I am getting closer to because I started because I wanted the chin up. to like, And you to got pull, the chin up. I got the chin up. <laughs> training and, once a week with me. Once a week, yeah. Like, that's how good she is, you guys. I've been training <laughs> like, once a week with her for a year, a year of shui. Yeah. And we got to several chin-ups in a row, actually. And I think... I think in six months, we were doing like three consecutive chin-ups. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't by working super hard. It wasn't by going to, to the like maximum level of challenge. It was just about keeping it enjoyable. We were chatting as we were moving. It was very chill. Very chill, having donuts, which we'll get to in a second. And energizing. Energizing, right? It's, our, it's my energy intake. And it works. It does. And uh, like even as someone who has studied the way the body works and guides people to move. Even I thought, oh, that's gentler than I thought I would need to go to be able yeah. to pull my own yeah. body weights. Yeah. yeah, another thing that happens is when you push too hard, you don't allow your body time to recover. Mm -hmm. I know you weren't just doing training, so you were doing other stuff on the side, like... Um, yeah, but still, it was my main activity, generally. Your main activity, okay. Yeah. The one consistent one. Okay, I did do good. hoop more consistently. Sometimes I did hoop, so that also involves grip strength. So yeah. there was maybe one other thing during the week, Annie, that you would do. So your body had the chance to recover and get stronger. Mm -hmm. What most people do is um, they train four or five, six times a week. They go all in. They can't push as hard in their sessions because they're not allowing their body time to recover. And sometimes even mentally, you're not ready. You can't push every single day. Right. So by training once a week, you're ready to go in. It's not every session, yeah, but in the... Mm -hmm. Are you going to talk about the time when I came with the loose pants? <laughs> it wasn't the right mood. It was not the right mood. No, not so the right mood. fun tip, so, you guys, the way you dress for a workout affects really you affects your workout. So I showed up to the gym in very loose, like lounging pants, and I just could not do anything. She and I tried, I tried training in sh pajama shorts. It doesn't work. Too. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Yeah. No one was at the gym, but it doesn't work. Yeah. So wear something that gets you feeling excited and motivated <laughs> to move. That's just an embodiment tip that we're throwing in there. And just, just to kind of add a personal flavor to the discussion, I'm interested to hear how you found your way to a relationship with movement and the body. Movement. Um... I always loved movement. I enjoyed sports. I enjoyed being outdoors from grade one. Um, my parents moved to the States back then. Um, so we lived in a compound and I never sat at home. Any. I left, I used to go rollerblading to school, to the bus stop, put the rollerblades in my bag, go to school, come wow. back, rollerblade back home. And before going to school, we'd play catch, football, um, baseball, mm -hmm. with a baseball. Um, I would come back home, have lunch, go out, play tennis, swim, playground, come back home, eat and sleep. Um, so it was always a big part of me. I, I always enjoyed movement. I didn't really consider myself fit. It's just that I enjoyed playing games and being outdoors. Um, 
then anyway, when I came back to Bahrain, I kind of lost touch with sports because it wasn't a big part of what it wasn't really included in school as much. Mm-hmm. And then when I went to uni, that's when I rediscovered trading. I had my own PT. Um, I started my journey. I lost 15 kilos. I did a lot of mistakes, by the way, and I still do sometimes, but it was, it was a journey and I learned a lot from it. And I actually studied finance in uni. Mm-hmm. And in my last semester, I took diet and exercise as an elective in psychology and communication for social change. I knew that was my interest, but I didn't know yet. I didn't really know that I wanted to be a coach at that time. So I graduated in 2010, came back to Bahrain in 2011. I was looking for a job, couldn't find a job. I used to go to the gym. And then my brother just came to me and he saw an ad in the newspaper that Fitness First are looking for a trainer. So I just laughed. I didn't know he was serious. <laughs> so I was like, I can't do this because I'm not certified. So he's like, do the certification. Okay, I was like, I, I can, but I don't think my dad would allow me to. He's like, you can try. So I asked my dad. He was like, yeah, sure. And that's how it started. Mm-hmm. I did the certification and then I started working at Fitness First until I left for freelancing. In 2020, it opened Feel Good. Nine years later. Nine yeah. years later. Amazing. And one thing you said that like, I'm, I reflect on quite often, sometimes I feel like the way, not the exercise world, but like exercise culture right now, takes a lot of the fun and the joy in movement out of that. Like the whole point of moving in our bodies yeah. generally is to maintain the sense of vitality and to be able to be functional, function better in our lives, age better. And when we turn it into like a regimented thing, it, it takes a lot of that. Or many of that because it's like a workout plan next to us. But when we turn it into a super regimented <laughs> yeah, yeah. thing, sometimes it can take sometimes, the joy out yes. of that. But where's the balance? Like, where do we find the discipline, but without losing the joy? I think mixing it up and doing what you enjoy. If you enjoy playing football, you don't need to be training five times a week or six times a week in a gym. You can combine workouts. Mm-hmm. This is why I usually encourage people to do less training and not more. They usually end up doing four or five sessions when they can just do two or three and then spend more time walking, going to other um, yoga classes, pilates, uh, dance classes, sports, whatever they enjoy doing. What we do, I think, is, is structured. We do change it around, but our training is more structured so you can see progress. Mm-hmm. So we focus on building strength and preventing injury for you to do what you enjoy doing, whatever it is. I love that the way you do it kind of feels like supporting and preparing the body to do whatever it wants exactly. to do. There's no one thing. Some people ask me how many times should I come to the gym? There's no, there's not one answer for that. Mm-hmm. What's their goal? Would you ever recommend like six days a week to anyone? No, no, no. Okay. Not, not this program. No, not okay. this program. Yeah. <laughs> Some um, people try doing it and they just end up feeling broken and I coach them and I can see that they can't really push during the sessions. Mm-hmm. So it loses value. The whole point of strength training is for you to be ready to push hard. Mm-hmm. If you can't push hard in the strength component, then there's no use doing it six times a week. Mm-hmm. It's too much. You're not giving your body the right stimulus on the day. 
And then again, you're losing out on the chance for proper out. recovery as exactly. well. Let's talk about donuts. Donuts. <laughs> donuts. We love donuts. We do. I'm so fun fact, I'm Miriam's favorite client. She's, um, she's, so not allowed, <laughs> she's not allowed to confirm on air because last time she announced it to the public yeah, oh yeah yeah we were threatened shway and our safety by a couple of people not just one yeah, yeah. several but um i can say it i'm her favorite it's okay. <laughs> and um it started with a donut so what are the donuts about um it started one or two years ago i had a competition for my clients it was a step challenge and the prize was going to be I think a free PT session or something for whoever gets the most amount of steps. But one of my clients insisted on getting donuts. So I was like, okay, sure, why not? Mm-hmm. And he did end up winning the challenge and he got the donuts. Yeah. And then everyone else asked for donuts. So I got them all donuts. And I remember posting on Instagram and getting comments from other people. That, How would you feed your clients donuts? Like, I don't expect my clients not to eat donuts ever. Mm-hmm. I don't give them donuts every single session. I don't know. I think people... Um, are a bit too strict and donuts to me are about balance, relaxing, and just having a sustainable approach to dieting or whatever your good is. And taking things lightly. Taking well. things lightly, exactly. Yeah. And whole foods? Versus whole foods. Whole foods, whole foods. H-O-L-E. Whole foods. Sorry, dad joke you guys. <laughs> um, so... Okay, so let's talk about that because one thing people lose out on is context. So yeah. people are often stuck in black and white, like this is good for you, this is bad for you. Um, good food, I, bad foods. Hey, good foods, bad foods. I okay. was cranky two days ago and posted a picture of a cheesecake and someone was like, oh, that's such a great crime. And I was Why like, is it a crime? <laughs> like, it's actually not a crime. Like, I think it's genius and I'm really proud of myself. It made me feel better. Yeah. Fair. It's interesting to see how we label things like that. You know, cheat meals. My God, that's I, I hate me crazy. Yeah, I hate. How do we help people understand what's going on there? I think that's um, probably my biggest. I don't know if I'm going to call it a chance. This is not. Most people come into training with the black and white mentality. So I won't start training until I'm fully ready to commit four or five times a week, and mm-hmm. I have a meal plan or um, sign up to a meal prep company and um, most of the time it's all about embracing the gray area so even with donuts healthy eating to me is 80% whole food W-H-O-L-E 20% whole foods so around that I'm not saying it's an exact science so most of your food is nutritious with a bit of more processed foods Mm -hmm. for you to enjoy the journey and just enjoy life <laughs> yeah because yeah. there's no point in being healthy if you're not really enjoying feeling good <laughs> feeling good right um we'll use a lot of puns you guys disclaimer just in advance um and this is another thing like if we're gonna look at exercise and nutritional myths it's like when does healthy become toxic when does healthy become chasing perfection and not settling for anything underneath that you know like I have to eat all the healthy food and not eat anything unhealthy and joke about how I'm doing something bad when I'm eating something not healthy um there's a lot of over exercising if we're going to get into orthorexia and under eating and and people thinking that's health when it's 
technically a form of an eating disorder and and I understand that this is a heavy word for some people but yeah, yani, let's yeah. just be realistic orthorexia yeah. is a thing but it's, what are your it's thoughts? probably the biggest thing now mm. do you see a lot of it with clients the most common eating disorder I'm seeing is orthorexia now mm-hmm. I think parts of it is social media you like you can't regulate the quality of information you can't regulate the quality any, any person can put things out there it's a lot of the times it's someone that just trains So the information can be um, good, but it's not necessarily accurate. And experience is one thing and being educated and certified is another. Yeah. And I think you need a bit of both right. to be able to help people. And I think also like maybe a, a reflection point for anyone listening is if you're going to look for a trainer, look for someone who has the humility to be open to other ideas. Yeah. So I know that... Um, You know, we had a friend who trains in something and did it in a completely different way. And you, I remember we had this discussion of you were like, oh, you know, someone does it this way. What are your thoughts? And you and I were reflecting on what we think around that, even though we do things completely differently and wouldn't do it this way. But instead of critiquing or bashing that other approach, we were like, oh, interesting. I wonder in what way it works for them. So a coach who has the humility to... be open to the different points of views as someone who's going to do the research and get you the best quality of information versus someone who yeah and he just has this idea of this is what i think health is and, and i'm going to give you a black and white answer خلاص. yeah and most of the times you need to be more flexible and it's the art and science of coaching not just science mm-hmm. different things work for different people yeah different personalities different lifestyles So there's no one way. And when you look at social media, it assumes that everyone lives the same life. So yeah. I don't think it helps. So if we're going to bust those myths of like, the more you exercise, the healthier you are. I think it's the mentality behind it, which is the issue. The same thing goes to um, calorie counting. Mm. Some people think calorie counting is not healthy because your body naturally knows what, what mm-hmm. it has to do. But um, if you're... counting calories and you're being obsessive and if you go over by five calories you're depressed or you think you need to burn those five calories that's not good mm. but if you count calories just to be aware of what you're eating to help you reach your goals and being okay with the fluctuations of your calories at the end of the day it's not um, an exact science calorie counting is plus or minus 20 by the way so mm. It's just an estimate, but it's a good estimate rather than just guessing what to eat. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, pushing, training six days a week can be healthy. Training six days a week can be bad. Mm-hmm. And eat, calorie counting can be good and it can be bad. It's, it, I think it's how you think of it. Yeah. And, and being, why you're doing it. Are being doing honest it? enough with ourselves to be like, what is this really about? Yeah. And sometimes people need help figuring that out and it's okay. They might think they need six days a week of training when they just need to train three times a week. Right. So having someone tell them that and them trusting that person to actually do it, mm-hmm. I think is um, important. Yeah. It's interesting. I've also worked with clients before where they had the idea that if they stopped weighing themselves or obsessively checking how healthy their food is, they're going to gain weight. And yeah. usually with those clients, I kind of go, okay, so... Let's let's actually look at real life examples. Like what's the most amount of weight you've gained in a certain amount of time? 
And if we're going to divide that by that, usually I tell them, like, for example, don't check the scale for like two weeks. And yeah. they look at me like, oh, what are you asking me to do? But I'm like, tell me the most amount of weight you've gained in a short amount of time. And we divide that by the weeks to see if that is the case, how much are they going to gain in two weeks? Mm. And then I'm like, okay, so don't, don't weigh yourself for two weeks. And then let's find out what happens on the other side. And for those of them who agree to do that, they always come back in two weeks and they're like, I feel so liberated. A lot of them actually end up losing weight in that time, even though they're, they're, eating, they're not, they're eating more comfortably. <laughs> but it's interesting to see how much of it is mental patterns. Yes, the same thing goes to checking your weight. To them, not weighing themselves worked for them. Mm. And to some other people, they can still weigh themselves, let's say, every week and they're fine. This Hata every day. Mm. I can weigh myself every day and be fine with it. Yeah. But I reached, it took me years to feel okay with weighing myself every day and it not affecting me. I understand the fluctuations. Oh, I trained late yesterday night or um, I went out to dinner I'll, or I'm getting my period out. Mm. I'm really sore, so I retain more water. To me, um, even with the scale, I have it here. I know the scale is, can be a tricky situation for some people. And for some, I encourage them to not weigh themselves as much. Yeah. And for others, I'm like, weigh yourself every day. Notice the fluctuations and try to understand what's really happening. Mm, and be okay with And that. be okay with it. I think also, like, the way I think of it is if the thought of not weighing yourself regularly makes you uncomfortable hey, that's then an there's something to yeah examine. exactly it's the mentality behind it yeah and so let's since you mentioned it let's talk about periods as well because i definitely yeah. want to go there that's one of the misconceptions a lot of people go okay training during a woman's cycle is unhealthy and should be avoided let's just go right into it <laughs> um i had clients hit prs on Mm-hmm. On their first day, I'm one of those clients. And, oh, you, I think it was of, my first chin up, my was first it? smooth chin up. Or you something. had a really good chin up on your first day once, I yeah. remember. Eight. Yeah. So um, some clients hit PRs, personal records, on their first day. Some clients need to stay in bed, mm-hmm. and some need a workout that has to be more gentle um, to make them feel better. Yeah. So it's different for everyone. I encourage people to tune into their bodies and just understand how the cycle affects them. I know I get sluggish one week before my period, so I don't really push hard on that week. Yeah. And when I deload my training, it's usually that week, and then I start building up again. So I make it work for myself and for my clients too. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I always ask my clients, and I ask you, which phase of the cycle are you on? Yeah. Because I start to understand how it affects you, and we, we know when to push and when to step back a bit and also parts of examining the cycle and kind of paying attention as we start to notice that sometimes it varies from cycle to cycle yeah i know that when i eat like excessive amounts of junk so like about twice a year i'll notice if i was like in a mode where i was really relying on junk to cope through a stressful time i'm usually crankier and then during that cycle i just need to rest and do nothing for the first at least couple of days so it affects it's, it's not just physi- your physical ability, it's also mental and emotional. Yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah. And then other cycles, it's, too, it's yeah, like, yeah. let's yeah. go, you know? So it's not so, just about pain. Exactly. So best, for someone listening, so health-wise, there is no reason to... No reason not to exercise. Okay. And if you're an athlete, you probably want to get used to exercising during your period because you wouldn't know when you're going to compete in races or matches or whatever you do. Yeah. You need to get used to it. 
and this is endorphins that can make you feel better yeah. so it's there is actual science behind it too yeah definitely helps yeah. with cramps for yeah. sure yeah. yeah i ran my first half marathon on my period i i was scared but it was fine okay it was wow. the longest distance i ran on Amazing. my period yeah cool first day soreness let's talk about muscle soreness you have to be sore for the exercise to be effective true or false false okay. you can't be sore but you don't have to be sore mm-hmm. and any training program any movement you start you're probably going to get sore just because your body's not used to it but you don't have to be sore to have a good workout mm-hmm. yeah and i find like lately that i'm doing things that i've been doing for a while i don't get sore i do get stronger though so it's especially really- when you get used to the movements that's yeah. It's actually a good thing if you're not as sore, you can probably push harder mm. or it's mentally easier. Not necessarily easier, but it's just mentally easier to push harder when you're, when you're not sore. Yeah. And then it's like, train sm- why train hard when you can train smart? Minimum effective dose. Minimum effective dose. <laughs> <laughs> this will be like this underrated episode. <laughs> Other- it's all about being efficient. <laughs> it is all about being efficient. And reducing stress. Yeah, can we talk about that? Because exercise is a form of stress, stress. but it's a form of stress. Yeah, it's used stress, but it could be um, stressful on the body, especially when you're overtraining or if you use it as a way to burn calories and to burn off what you ate for dinner or if you're feeling guilty and you feel like you need to train to feel better Mm -hmm. just to burn the calories I do. Um, It's stress. That's why I think walking is underrated. Mm -hmm. Especially with most women, most of them have a fat loss goal. And when they cut back on training and increase walking, they're reducing intensity and increasing their calorie expenditure without adding more stress on the body. Mm. And there are other benefits to walking, emotional well-being, um, mm. relaxation. So I think um, people put more stress on their bodies than they need to. They put more stress on themselves than they need to, not right. just their body. Yeah. It gets addictive. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so um, it gets addictive, I think, at some point, like getting used to the stress and thinking if we don't continue to put that stress and maybe we like there's going to be some form of regression. Yeah. And I think accepting that we would regress is healthy because life is not um, constant. Some things are going to happen and you're going to have to regress and it's not always going to be your number one priority, mm-hmm. or at least not to everyone, Andy. And so looking at the general direction of where you're headed versus the small ups and downs yes. in the process. Yeah. 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 What about eating late is unhealthy? <laughs> <laughs> unhealthy or uh, makes you gain weight? Well, you tell me. You're the, okay. you're the food expert. Okay. Um, unhealthy... Yes, it could affect your um, digestive system and increase the chances of getting acid reflux. Mm-hmm. It's not healthy to sleep right after eating a meal by being horizontal. What most people care about is them gaining weight because they ate it. Mm-hmm. And if we use Ramadan as an example, the number of people that lose weight and eat suhoor right before going to bed... Right. It's ridiculous, Fayani. It's that's living proof in the Yani. You don't need to eat. That's so true. You don't need to eat early to lose weight. Yani. People eat right before going to bed and then they end up losing weight in Ramadan. Mm. At the end of the day, it's the amount of calories you burn versus the amount of calories you eat. And burning calories is not just exercise. Exercise is probably the least important one. 
just your general metabolism, your non-exercise activity thermogenesis, which is just you living your life normally. Mm-hmm. And for someone Not listening, activity, how can they optimize that if someone wants to optimize that? I think this is why um, the step tracker is now idea trending. And yeah. it's not a bad thing. It just makes people aware of how much they're actually moving throughout the day. Mm-hmm. And that's where the 10,000 steps comes in. Okay. So that's one thing. Wearing the watch makes you aware of. And I gave it to my grandmother, Marla, and I realized she does 7,000, 8,000 steps a day, which is amazing. Yeah. And because she was wearing the watch, she started moving more. So it's, mm. it works both ways. It motivates people to move more. Not everyone. Most, most people would move more because they're wearing it. And um, just gives you an idea of how much movement you're doing throughout the day, not just your exercise. It's interesting. Where do you, where is, so I feel like in some ways, he, like I'm making quotation marks, but like health <laughs> culture and health. Exercise is not healthy. It's <laughs> not healthy. And it's built around, like, it's, I don't know if it's a multi million, multi billion dollar industry. In some ways, built around chasing goals in a way where there's a lack of self acceptance, where it's like, I have to get to this goal or this version of myself or this weight to yep. feel okay about myself. And there's something very toxic in my opinion about that, but then also I'm all for moving and, and connecting to health in the body. So where do you, as someone in the industry, reconcile with that? Um, I think the industry takes advantage of people's insecurities. Mm-hmm. And for us, we would encourage people to accept themselves where they are and then improve. So giving, empowering them rather than making them feel like shit and then just making them feel worse. Where does strength training come in in terms of that like psychological empowerment? Um, it's the most interesting one. I think the amount of people gives people confidence mm. and self-belief. And um, I see how people start dressing differently just because they started strength training. Mm. They're more confident in their bodies. They feel better. They feel stronger. Um, They feel like they accomplished something, which they did. And for example, my grandmother, she shows off about training and being strong. And she would do stuff around the house because she trains. Yeah. So it just gives her the belief that she can, Mm. which a lot of people need, especially women. I don't want to be sexist, but in that, women tend to undervalue their strength. They undermine their strength. And my aunt, for example, wanted to park one day in the garage. She just went out of the car, carried it, removed it, mm. and parked. She used to deadlift 40 kilos back then, so she knew she could do it. Amazing. But small things like that, I think, just carrying your bag, the airplane. Yeah. yeah. I always love like carrying my carry on <laughs> and putting it in yeah. the overhead compartment. I'm like, yeah, I can like press, you know? I think it's underrated to get the idea. Strength training would help you in life. Mm. And I think it's that attitude of using the body to connect people to their potential, their existing potential, and then building on that. Rather than chasing it, just an aesthetic. Although aesthetic is great. And yeah, yeah. there's no issues. I'm not pretending I'm not feeling good. (laughs) Many have seen like my vein side of like, I want to work on this. 
Um, it's okay to want to train to look good. I feel yeah. like recently it's become more of you should just train to be strong. But no, no you can I do both. Agree. It's fine. Yeah, and it feels nice to have that, like to embrace that vanity as long as there's yeah. also an appreciation for the body yeah. at the same time. <laughs> um, so training for women and loading the body and bone health. Oh, it's a big one in Bahrain. Um, osteoporosis is huge in Bahrain. Mm-hmm. Because it's too hot, we don't really go out in the sun. Mm-hmm. Loading your body yeah, vertically, mm-hmm. putting more pressure on your legs mainly, helps strengthen your bones. And at a certain age, your bone density does go down. This when you train, it goes down slower. So there's benefits to everyone. Mm-hmm. There's an actual... My like, mom's uh, bone strength improved when she started training. Wow. Um, she does have osteoporosis, but yeah. she did the test again after training and it did improve. Amazing. And I thought it, it can't improve. I thought just yeah, the decline would be less, but yeah. that improved it's incredible. after training. Uh, yeah, because there's training. like an actual pull from the muscle on the connective yeah. tissue that inserts into the, the bone. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, God, I forgot the word and my inner nerd is so frustrated now. Um, peri, peri- Periosteum. Periosteum. Hallelujah. Thank you, There we go. Two brains can create it together. Yeah, so it pulls on for anyone's peri- peri- like me. It's, it's called periosteum and it pulls on the bone to actually enable it to expand. I didn't know that, by the way, but I just know the term. Oh, yeah. So you know, I, I you know the term. I knew the pulling. It goes together into a fact. So while we're on the topic of myth-busting, can we talk about EMS? Because that's also super trendy. EMS stands for Electrical Muscle Stimulation, which started mainly for rehab purposes. Mm. It's trendy now, I think, because it's people think um, they only need to do 20 minutes and that's it. But with my experience with clients, people that did EMS for four, five, six months, they still can't do half a squat. So they're not really benefiting in terms of movement. Mm. And people go to EMS because they think other methods of exercise doesn't really work or it's not efficient. But I think that's the wrong reason. Athletes use it to activate muscles or rehab, but for the general population, it's a waste of money. It's usually more expensive. Gimmicky. (laughs) Extremely gimmicky. And... There's just no long-term research that says that it's healthy in the long run. Mm-hmm. So yeah. nobody knows what the effect is. You're, stimu- you're electrically stimulating your muscles by, by trainers. They're not really uh, qualified to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And also, like people say it's a quick fix, but everyone I know who's done EMS, I haven't seen massive transformations. I wonder how much of it is psychological, just feeling that electrical impulse yeah. in the muscle and thinking, oh, it must mean I'm burning more. Or, it's the or, same or, thing. Yeah. yeah, it's the same thing with training. If you train, and from the first week, people feel the difference. Sometimes there's no physical difference, mm-hmm. but they just feel better. So it's the same thing with anything you start, I think, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. not specifically to EMS. Yeah, I find it interesting that you use, they used it for rehab. Was that more like to wake certain muscles up that were dormant? Yes. Okay, interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> Physios would know more about it, but yeah, to, if a muscle was injured just to activate it, mm-hmm. they'd use EMS. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Most people that go for EMS are busy women. Um, they want a quick fix or they're just busy with time. So you can get better results by doing a virtual PT session at home that's 45 minutes long. 
instead of driving somewhere, spending 25 minutes and driving back home mm. with more benefits, movement, injury prevention, and just a better quality of life mm-hmm. instead of just shocking your muscles and coming back home. <laughs> with no research to prove it <laughs> no research works. to prove it works. Yeah. And with the people that got results from EMS, it's because they followed their strict diet. It's usually 1,200 calories or less from the places I know that do it in Bahrain. Wow. So anyone that does that and doesn't move, it's going to do is wait. Is, I mean, 1,200 calories or less, isn't that like any... Too low for most people. Eh, like, is it Majority. sustainable for anyone, Aslan? Maybe if you're petite and you're trying to lose a bit of weight and you're short, it can work for like 5% of the population, but the mm-hmm. majority, it's, it's too little. Because mm-hmm. yeah. whenever I hear under 1,200 calories by choice, yeah. like a conscious decision, to me, that sounds like it's... more often than not disordered eating. Yeah. And I have this concern with dietitians, and we have a lot of dietitians and like, companies yeah. here that actually promote this and what's the sustainability of that kind of it's not sustainable do the results last usually not they do use 1200 calories for obese clients sometimes but it's extreme and they do it under supervision just because they're desperate to lose weight quickly mm. and they, they're monitored so i wouldn't give anyone 1200 calories mm. Yeah, so there are specific cases that it could work for. Okay, cool. Under medical supervision. (laughs) Underline that, under medical supervision. One thing I've loved chatting with you about is hearing your reflections on stretching. Um, And I know that when I used to go to workout classes, they always used to have a stretch at the end. And when I started training with you, there was no emphasis on stretching after. And I never really felt like I needed to stretch. Yeah. Overall, there's something about an integrated workout where you actually don't even need to stretch after. So what are your thoughts on that? Do we need to stretch before or after a workout? Why do people stretch? And Yeah, before the workout, we do need to prepare the muscles for training. Mm-hmm. So we do dynamic stretches, mobility, mm-hmm. just movement in general to raise your heart rate up warm up your body and increase the range of motion mm-hmm. in your joints. Yeah. So that's the purpose of stretching before a workout. Static stretches don't really do that. If you're going to do a static stretch, it might feel better. I would encourage you to do a dynamic stretch after and then start training. Mm-hmm. So it's Which okay. basically stretch while you're moving. Yeah. After, to be honest, it's more, I think, uh, psychological. It feels nice. I enjoy stretching after, but it's not necessary. You're, you are moving your body through a full range of motion in the workout and in that if you carry something heavy you don't stand and just stretch and then go back to <laughs> unless you're a yoga person so you don't really need to stretch after mm-hmm. you can't do it if it feels nice but you don't have to mm-hmm. when yeah. people say you need to stretch after what do they think they're doing with that post-exercise? they think they won't be sore mm. because they're stretching after yeah you might uh Lengthen the muscle. Uh, it's good for flexibility if you're going to do it for a longer time, mm. not for eight, 10 seconds. Eight, 10 seconds, it won't increase your flexibility. Yeah. But it won't prevent soreness. Mm. If soreness is going to happen, it's going to happen. Stretching won't stop it from happening. Yeah, because movements often help soreness dissipate more than actual stretching. That's circulation, yeah. yeah. For mm. walking, being active the next day, instead and, of just stretching. And also passive stretching before a workout or a for athletes before a training session, often like there's research that shows that it can actually 
decrease muscle firing. Yeah, because you're relaxing the nervous system. You're not firing itself for movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to wake itself for training, not stretch and mm-hmm. relax. Put it to sleep before <laughs> you see her voice start <laughs> running. Mm-hmm. One, the same thing with training. Eh? If you want to, for example, if we, do, if we go heavier with deadlifts, mm-hmm. we would do two to three squat jumps before the deadlifts just to fire up your legs mm-hmm. before going heavy. Okay. That could be considered like a dynamic. It's just, it's firing the nervous system before going heavy. Mm-hmm. It's just preparation. So you mentioned that you made mistakes in the earlier days. What are some of <laughs> what are some of your favorite mistakes that you've learned from? Um, I learned from all of them. One is me mainly doing just cardio. Mm. I did that. Um, keto um starving myself not and not anorexia but just not under eating yeah every single day going to bed hungry overtraining um under recovering the list goes on yeah. mm. <laughs> i've done it all speaking of keto since it's trendy now yeah. intermittent fasting which is Ooh, which yes. can be okay okay but it's not the solution to yeah. fat loss Okay, so let's go into those two because those two are trendy. What are your thoughts on intermittent fasting and keto? Uh, intermittent fasting, I think, um, is a way to limit your eating window. So it can help you lose weight if you have less time to eat. But it's not an opportunity for you to eat anything you want in those eight hours or 10 hours. At the end of the day, I've seen people lose weight on intermittent fasting and people gain weight. If you go back to calories, that's what matters. And finding the approach that helps you eat that amount is what's important, not the way you do it. And with keto, it's the same thing. Not eating carbs isn't why your body is burning fat. Your body can burn fat either way. I tried the keto diet. Um, I don't think it's sustainable. I don't think it's good for performance. Your body does get used to it, but you don't get that kick in your training and you can't really push hard Mm. you can do cardio probably endurance sports but it's not going to be optimal and with the keto diet it goes back to the same thing calories if it helps you eat that you're going to lose weight if it doesn't you're going to gain weight there's not enough research to confirm if it's healthy in the long run or not this Mm. is why i never recommend it i would never recommend the keto diet and you miss out on Donuts and other healthy foods. <laughs> Donuts. And and I've seen people who, I don't know if this is, I don't know if it's like more harmful for women than men or if it applies to everyone. But I know with female friends of mine whose period was completely messed up by oh, keto. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like um, completely. It's called the female t- something. Uh, basically, when you under eat, over train, you can lose your period. Hmm. And you add additional stress to your body. Some women lose their period and it's common in athletes Mm. once they start eating a bit more obviously once they check with their doctor that there's no other issue once they start eating more reducing exercise stress Mm -hmm. stress and exercise stress physical stress yeah they they would usually improve so it can affect your hormone health and your because also fat percentages have like hormones are transported through fat yes yeah so if we're Talking about fat as if we're going to demonize it, then there's hormone function that gets compromised. Another thing, people talk about calorie burn and weight loss often as if 
losing what they perceive to be excess weight or burning what they believe are extra calories equals more health. And I have seen people show up to my classes in all sorts of different sizes. And what I always see is you can tell that health has nothing to do with size. No, doesn't matter. It's about um, thinking good, <laughs> feeling good, eating. Um, if you're going to go back to the WHO's recommendations of to, to be healthy, it's training um, twice a week of resist- resistance training plus around uh, 150 minutes of cardio a week. That's Mm. it. And you can be thin and not do that, and you can be overweight and do that, and you're healthy. You can love your body and still aim for a certain goal, aim for fat loss. Mm -hmm. I I agree. I think we can love ourselves and still want to change. So this is not a comment against wanting to gain weight or wanting to lose weight. It's had to share with... um, Underweight, being underweight. Yeah. You don't have to gain weight. It actually makes sense. And this is the thing, BMI, so body mass index, which is um, the worst thing to use. Yes. I think I, I hate the body mass. Yeah. The and what's so interesting is the history behind it is that it was invented to custom or not customize, but mass produce clothing after World War, I want to say Already? two Initially, when it was... So I don't know if it was World War One or Two, just so I don't make up facts. But it was post-war, they needed to mass-produce clothing for a lot of people. And they figured, okay, so the best way to do that is to figure out for this height, what would the person's approximate size be? And then it became like reverse absorbed and used as like, oh, so for this height, you should be within this weight range. We're using an index that was yeah. created for a whole other reason. Mm-hmm. So still use it. Um, they think that at a specific height they need to be at a specific weight. Yeah. So if you're 150, to be at 50 kilos, or mm-hmm. 160, 60 kilos, but it's not. It's like it's not that simple. What's your and natural you bone size? Yeah. What's what do you, you don't have to do there. anything, and it's what you want to do. Bad. Right, and then there's lifestyle, which lifestyle, yeah. if you're living a healthy lifestyle and you're healthy, you're healthy. You know. Yeah. Because um, a lot of clients come to me, they're like, Madam, what weight should I be? I'm like, what do you want to be? I, I, I'm not here to tell you what to aim for. I'm here to help guide you. I this. Your goal is your goal. There's no specific weight you have to reach. There's no specific shape you have to be. Ali. So unpacking the... Because there's a lot of shame around body stories. Yeah. And this is like... It comes for all body sizes and all shapes. And like, no matter what size or shape someone is, it could be one small comment at one point in their life that where they internalize that feeling of shame. What have you seen works best for clients with sort of overcoming that shame around the body? Just reinforcing, I think, that everyone is different. Every body shape is different. Um, empowering them with strength training and with what they can do mm-hmm. and they would eventually start loving how they look too bad but it's not just about being strong and ignoring how you look but using strength as a way and strength and movement as a way to appreciate your body and then eventually they would feel better and they would also look at themselves in a more positive way so yeah i love using strength as an approach i also love that you use strength with and sarcasm women. and sarcasm <laughs> we'll get to 
sarcasm in a second. We will get to that in a second. I love that you use strength training with pregnant women. Though. Yes. Pregnant and postpartum. And postpartum. Because that's another myth. Yeah. Especially in our culture, um, women are not encouraged to move at all. Not, not just stand up, lift weights. That's why I started my Strong Mom program. The emphasis is on building strength for pregnancy and motherhood. Mm-hmm. Building strength, preventing aches, and just empowering them during their journey. Because at the end of the day, you can adapt the training to suit everyone. And pregnancy and postpartum is included. Yeah, You're not out of the picture because you're pregnant. You're not, you shouldn't be just sitting at home because you're a mom. You can train at home. You can train at the gym. There are specific things you can do that would help you get stronger and feel better at your phase, like at your stage. I have a postpartum question. For someone who has experienced maybe either abdominal separation or has had a C-section or it just feels like just through pregnancy, they've lost connection to their core. Their core. How does someone begin? And of course, just disclaimer, please work with a professional when you do this, but just to create an understanding, <laughs> please. Uh, to create an understanding, what is required there? Where, where do people begin? Postpartum? Yeah. One, they'll have a checkup with their doctor. I usually recommend going to a woman's health physio first mm. for, the, for her to assess their diastasis, if they have any prolapse or just to check everything. And then start training a lot of people want to jump in and just go to the gym and work out Amen. where does pelvic floor and breath work and all of that come in i think yeah with postpartum i think it's rehab and you're recovering from giving birth i don't mean it in a negative way recovering is a positive thing but you're just recovering from carrying a baby being pregnant your body changing um, pressure on your pelvic floor, so there's some weakness there. Your core strength, numbness, breath, lack of sleep, uh, raising a child, a baby at that stage fats a lot. I think it's complicated. And just starting with rehab exercises, so basic things just like breathing and the connection breath. So breathing in, relaxing your pelvic floor, your belly, and exhaling just contracting that's the most basic thing you can do mm-hmm. and you can do that from the day you give birth that's something you can start early on and it's the main thing i focus on with training postpartum women just uh, building awareness again because their body does feel different yeah. and it's okay and it's, it does take time to start feeling the muscles again mm. and when they're ready we start loading the body Because sometimes when women try to bypass that and jump back into exercise, it's like we're building a house without the foundations. Yeah. And you increase the risk of urinary incontinence, prolapse, injuries. Um, I don't mean to scare anyone, but you do have to take this seriously. Mm -hmm. There are any things you can do before jumping into intense exercise. With my Strong Mom program, that's the focus, just to build the strength, to build a strong foundation for you to do whatever you enjoy doing. So after the one month, you would be able to go back to whatever you love and you would know your limits. I'm not going to say after one month, you're good to go, but you would understand when to regress, when to progress. You would know how it feels, if it's a good feeling, if it's a bad feeling. So just being aware of your body, I think, and knowing when to push and when to hold back. 
I love that you use the word aware because now research, pain research shows that increasing body awareness yeah. decreases the body's experience of pain. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, <laughs> That's good. It's yeah. super fascinating. So it's like the more interoception you create and awareness of what's going on internally in the body, yeah. the less the body feels like stimulus is threatening because it's, it has enough sen- internal sensibility to then juggle what's too much and when to back off, which is exactly yeah. what you were saying. Yeah. We also want moms to be comfortable moving again mm. and um, just empowering them and to reduce aches and pains. And I know that most moms that come to train postpartum are exhausted. So we don't push and stress the body even more. At the end of the day, we're there to help them make, make them feel better instead of just killing them. Mm. And the focus is not fat loss. Mm. If, the, if they want to focus on fat loss and if they're at the right stage for that, and, and if it's the right time, they would focus on the nutrition side. Training, getting, that, except for walking, they can go walk, but training is focused on just rehab and recovery. Mm. Minimum yeah. effective dose. The minimum, minimum effective dose and healthier for them at this stage I mean, physically yeah. just to give them more time to adapt to training I, mean. I want to talk about motivation I remember you sent an email about this a while back and I really <laughs> liked it the motivation discipline muscle I think people rely too much on motivation mm. if we're gonna rely on motivation we're not gonna get up and do what we want to do every day of our lives I mean, I'm not saying that we should push ourselves every day but you don't go to work every single day feeling 100% motivated. Mm-hmm. Okay, maybe some people do, but most people wouldn't. <laughs> most humans. Most humans <laughs> wouldn't be that motivated. Mm-hmm. Motivation doesn't last long, and sometimes you just need to rely on discipline to do what you need to do. And to see it in a positive way, just think of motivation as a muscle and discipline as another muscle. You, you need to work on both. You don't want to be too disciplined that you ignore motivation all of the time, but rely on motivation and ignore discipline. Right. So I think having a balance is good. Nice. Sometimes that means changing your workouts, um, doing something different just to increase that motivation. Mm. When people say working out as therapy, and I've had, I have friends of mine who are clients <laughs> of yours and they, they call workouts with you therapy. What do you think is going on there? What shifts for people when they come to move? Um, one, the hormones release, the endorphins, the feel-good hormones. Mm-hmm. The feel-good <laughs> hormones. <laughs> we told That's... you the clients were coming. Hi, number one. Um, the physical changes they see, it also sets them right for the day sometimes. And they would, when you start your day accomplishing something, you would continue wanting to do the same thing in your job, yeah. whatever it is, that. And it's time off for yourself. Mm. I think and we're too busy and we tend to forget focusing on ourselves. Yeah. So it's about doing something, any working or any raising your kids. So it's empowering, it's strength. It's, um, for some people, it's talking and you get to talk. It's a safe space any for it's not therapy therapy, but it's a form of therapy. It's still a safe space. It's still a safe space. Yeah. Eh? And vitality too. Vitality, yeah. I feel horrible when I don't move. Not necessarily train, but uh, for example, I had surgery a month and a half ago. Mm. And being 
at home for two weeks, not being able to move killed me. I felt drained. I had no energy. It's not just because of surgery. It's just it's because I was just lying down in bed mm. watching TV. And if, uh, it's draining. Hey, and sometimes like just that little dose, you kind of ride the wave of that dose of energy and it keeps, it almost like feeds itself after that. But we just need to give ourselves that little nudge. Yeah. yeah. I have a rule called the five minute rule. Um, when people feel like they don't want to train when they're tired. If you feel like you're, you're tired, just try five minutes of exercise. If you still feel tired, stop. 99.9% of the time, people are going to continue training. Mm. They just need to start and then they're okay. They're okay. Yeah. So true. The initial part is the hardest part. And I still struggle to start training sometimes. It's, it's okay. People assume that because I'm a trainer, I'll do it. I can do it. I jump into training. I'll do that. Yeah. I procrastinate and then I just start. <laughs> Let's go back to sarcasm because I promise we can go there. <laughs> Where does that come in in the training? I think I probably use it to lighten things and to remind people not to take things too seriously. Mainly for that. So yeah, to me, humor is a really powerful component in wellness. And usually the darker the humor, the better. Oh yeah, I love dark humor. Yeah. Because I can't use it that much with my clients. I think it's too dark. I feel like I've received that from you a few times, but okay. (laughs) We speak the same language, it's okay. Um, What is something you wish all clients would know? I think just that there's no one way of doing things. You can reach the same goal using different approaches and finding what's right for you mm-hmm. is what's going to help you get there. Um, yeah, I think that's mainly it. If we look at the different components that you incorporate to get someone to feel good, to feel good. where what comes into the equation? Um, awareness, movement outside of the gym. Mm-hmm. Nutrition, sleep, stress, mental health. I'm not a therapist. I'm a life manager. (laughs) Um, It's close enough. Close enough. Mental health and just appreciating where you are in your journey to know. I I like using the the phrase, we meet you where you are. Mm -hmm. So wherever you are in your journey, we're going to help guide you to your goals. So not everyone starts in the same place and everyone is different. So there's no shame if you're a beginner. There's no shame if you're once an athlete and then you're regressed. And it's part of life. Where and how can people find you and find more about what you do? On Instagram, at feelgoodbh is our facilities Instagram page. And mine is m.aryamsharaf. Maryam with a dog. Just because Maryam Sharaf was taken. that basic awesome (laughs) thank you thank you Aisha this was really fun I really really enjoyed it thank you